While the children are leaving, um, I just want to reiterate there was a little bit of a, uh, an, allusion, uh, an alluding to uh, an announcement that is on your chair. If you're interested in Harvey Nichols' birthday uh, party, there's an announcement uh, on your row somewhere where you can jump in and be a part of that if you like. Uh, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, we uh, thank you for your presence here this morning. Um, thank you that you are touchable and tangible and that you're constantly reaching out to us. Lord, I pray that we would have hearts to hear and a mind and a soul that would receive what it is that you say when it comes to our lives and our ideas about your design. Lord, thank you so much for your presence. Thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you so much that we can stand here before you. We can sit here before you and be in the presence of the king of the universe, the creator of all, Yahweh, Jehovah. Thank you, Jesus, that you opened up the door for us to be in the relational position that we are right now. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. When I was in third grade, I wondered if my best friend who died could look down from heaven and see me. When my grandma died during my high school years, I was confident that she went to heaven and that I would see her again. When my oldest brother was killed in a jet fighter accident, I remember thinking that I was glad he knew God. When my dad committed suicide, I didn't know if he would be in heaven with me someday. And I remember wrestling with the peace of not knowing that answer and just trusting God because God was who God is. I remember when Shelley's dad passed, I was convinced he was seeing angels in the room who came for him to bring him into God's presence. When my friend Roy drowned while we were paddle boating, thinking of him in heaven, thinking of heaven being the place of description that the Bible gives us, a place that we can't even imagine, it was the only way that I, it was the main way that I healed, knowing that that's where he was. When my mom passed and her time was close, the only thing that she wondered about was her position with Christ. She only wanted to talk about what reaffirmed for her the assurance of heaven. When Shelley's mom passed, she was so ready to be with Jesus and out of her sick body, she asked us to pray with her that God would take her to be with Jesus in heaven that night. He didn't wait too long. It was like two nights. Heaven is a big deal. Heaven is a huge part of the gospel message. But when we wonder about heaven and we wonder about what eternity will be like, we know that God has said it's beyond our imagination, so 
we like football, so we say, so God, we know that I'm hoping that football will be in heaven, right? Or I'm hoping that baseball will be in heaven. If heaven's heaven, the Broncos will be there, right? You know, we, we take what God said as absolutely, positively unimaginable, and we say, that's what heaven will be like. If heaven's what I imagine heaven to be, it would include those things that I appreciate this side of heaven. That's kind of what we do. Um, heaven, if I look at myself, what I would tell you is that I've always seen, because I see heaven from my view, I've always seen heaven as my reward. That thing that a relationship with God leads to ultimately this reward of being with him eternally. I've seen heaven and thought of heaven from my viewpoint. Scripture says that his thoughts are nothing like our thoughts, that his ways are nothing like our ways, and that we can't even imagine him or understand him completely. So we just need to accept in faith that he says who he is and the parts of his nature that he reveals to us are, are those parts that we can understand and those parts that he keeps from us are those parts that we just can't possibly understand this side of being face to face with him. We just have to kind of accept that. The other thing that God says is absolutely unexplainable is heaven. He said, it's unimaginable. You can't even imagine what, I'm gonna pre what I have prepared for you. We live in a culture where popular thinking poses a lot of ideas about heaven. You know, popular thinking is, okay, so I live my life and I have this much good and I have this much bad, but because the good overshadows the bad, if we stack it all in one column, I go to heaven. That's a popular, that's a popular notion in our culture. There's a popular notion that comes out of churches that were once fairly biblically following churches who say that there, there is really no hell. That, that a loving God wouldn't have hell, right? And that everyone goes to heaven because God's love is so overwhelming, God's love is so amazing that everyone will go to heaven. And if there is a hell... It's this short-term place that you go until you figure it out, and then when you change your mind, God lets you into heaven. That's a popular notion. It's, it's prescribed by big-time theologians in our world today. However, we know that we can only trust what God says about heaven and hell. That the notions of other people, the notions and thoughts that we have, the fantasies that we have, none of those things are reliable. And so today is, is our last in our series of parables, and it's kind of appropriate that today's parable is about heaven. And so uh, I'm going to read to you the entire parable. I'm going to read from the Passion Translation, and then we're going to go through it and look into it. So... Matthew 22, verse 1, if you're following in your Bible, um, Jesus starts out. 
As was his custom, Jesus continued to teach the Bible by using allegories. He illustrated the reality of heaven's kingdom realm by saying there once was a king who arranged an extravagant wedding feast for his son. On the day the festivities were set to begin, he sent his servants to summon all the invited guests, but they chose not to come. So the king sent even more servants to inform the guest, the invited guest, saying, Come, for the sumptuous feast is now ready. The oxen and fatted cattle have been killed, and everything has been prepared. So come, come, come to the wedding feast for my son and his bride. But the invited guests were not impressed. One was preoccupied with his business. Another went off to his farming enterprises. And the rest seized the king's messengers and shamefully mistreated them and even killed them. This infuriated the king. So he sent his soldiers to execute those murderers and had their city burned to the ground. Then the king said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, yet those who had been invited to attend didn't deserve the honor. So now I want you to go into the streets and alleyways and invite anyone and everyone you find to come and enjoy the wedding feast in honor of my son. So the servants went out to the city streets, invited everyone to come to the wedding feast, good and bad alike, until the banquet hall was crammed with people. Now when the king entered the banquet, he looked with glee over his guests. But he noticed that a guest who was not wearing the wedding robe provided for him. So he said, my friend, how is it that you're here and you're not wearing your wedding garment? But the man was speechless. The king turned to his servants and said, tie him up and throw him into the outer darkness. Will there be great sorrow with weeping and grinding of teeth? For everyone is invited to enter, but few respond in excellence. Pray with me again, will you? Heavenly Father, this is tough stuff. It's hard for us to understand, to sift through our perceptions, our emotions, our thoughts, and focus on what it is that you're trying to tell us. So Lord, we just invite, I invite, and we invite your Holy Spirit to knock on us, to move us, to, to, to correct us, to reform us, to help us understand your view of what you have created. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to go through this a little at a time, all right? Um, at the very beginning, it says this. As was ch uh, his custom, Jesus continued to teach the people by using allegories. He illustrated the reality of the heaven's kingdom realm, okay? So here's what that little sentence can tell us. There is a heaven... And there's a realm bigger than us that's about heaven that we're not always paying attention to, that we don't always understand, that we can't always comprehend. There's a, there's a, there's a heaven and there's a, heaven, there's a heavenly realm. It's bigger than us, all right? Going on, there, there once was a king who arranged an extravagant wedding feast for his son, the wedding feast is an allegory for heaven, all right? 
what I want you to see is that it's extravagant. It's unimaginable. It's, it's something that cannot even be fathomed or explained. The other thing that I want you to notice is that the wedding feast is for his son. Who is his son? Jesus. The wedding feast, heaven, is about Jesus. See, it's not about you, and it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Heaven was created, says in Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. It was created back here. No human being even had access to heaven until after Jesus died on the cross. Heaven existed a long time before men, were even, men and women were even invited. Heaven is not about us. Heaven is about Jesus. Going on. On the day the festivities were set to begin, he sent his servants to summon all the invited guests, but they chose not to come. So, this parable is amazing because there's a then and a now position to the parable. The then position to the parable is really prophetic because it's saying that Jesus, God chose the Jews to be his called people, his called out people. And they were supposed to come and be in relationship with him and then shine the light on the rest of the world. That was God's intention. That was his design. But the Jewish nation rejected Jesus, right? And that's what this is alluding to. The guests that he first invited rejected him. And that in the then was the Jewish nation. In the now, it's a lot of people. All right? So the king sent even more servants to inform the invited guests, saying, say, come, to the sumptuous feast is now ready. I want you to notice that it's a multiple invitation. It's not a one-time invitation. It's a multiple invitation because God, the Father, who created us for relationship, wants that no man should perish, but all come to repentance. And so there's a multiple opportunity that is comforting for a guy like me because there are so many people in my life who need Jesus. There are so many people who are on my prayer list. There are so many people that I stand before the throne of heaven and say, Lord, they won't listen to me, so send somebody else. They won't listen to me, so send somebody else. And maybe they will listen to me at one point and open that window and that opportunity there's multiple opportunities because as much as I might love a lost person, guess who loves them more? Guess who loves them more? The oxen and the fatted cattle have been killed and everything is prepared, so come. Come to the wedding feast for my son and his bride. But the invited guests were not impressed. One was preoccupied with his business Another went off to his farming enterprises. So one level of denying Jesus is being so preoccupied with what he gives us here that we stop paying attention to where it came from. 
we stop paying attention to the reason that we were created to be in relationship with the Lord. We stop paying attention to that because we get all consumed with the gifts and the responsibilities of those gifts. So there's one level of saying no to the Lord, being self-centered in what he's given me and focused on only that, right? And then it, the passage goes on. And the rest seized the king's messengers and shamefully mistreated them and even killed them. Again, there's a then and now position. The then position was he was describing Israel. He was describing what they would do to him later that week. Because let me tell you when this parable was given. This parable was delivered after Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And everybody took their coats off. Hosanna, Hosanna. And the church said, shut them up. They're too loud. And Jesus said, the rocks will cry out. And then he went into the temple and got rid of all those vendors in there and said, this, my house, my father's house is not for this intention. Sometime between then and when, when he celebrated the, the final last supper, we call it the last supper with his disciples, he told this parable. And he was telling it to Israel, right? And so clearly he's saying to them, you're going to kill me. This is prophetic. You're going to kill me. You're going to kill my disciples. You're going to kill the apostles. And why would somebody do that? Jesus was constantly trying to correct the church. He was constantly trying to correct their viewpoint and help them understand that it was incorrect. But they would not let go of that self-centered view of themselves, the church they had created, and the position they had. And so every time Jesus said, move, 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 it enraged them. That's why they killed him, and that's why they killed the people after him. That's why there's martyrs, because people are enraged because they, they, they are offended by what they're being told. They're offended by the truth. And so that was prophetic in what Jesus was declaring for the nation of Israel. But the now part of that is that there's, that's still going on today. That's still going on in 2019. You see, the road to salvation is not an easy one because I have to give up my viewpoint and I have to receive his viewpoint. That's what has to happen. My self-centered nature needs to end and I have to open myself up to him. Okay, raise your hand if you're not self-centered. We all are self-centered, except for Michael. We're all self-centered because we live in our own skin. We experience life from our perspective. We have blinders on. If we compare ourselves to the view of God, the view of Christ, we have blinders on. We can only see this much. And so we focus on what we feel. We focus on what we think. We focus on who we think God should be instead of who he's telling us he is. The scripture says, this infuriated the king, so he sent his soldiers to execute those murderers and had their city burned to the ground. The then time, the prophetic thing, is this happened in 70 AD when J Jerusalem was decimated and the temple was destroyed and 
what we see now in Israel today is indicative of what was left of that temple. It was a wall and a, and a no temple. And now there's a Muslim mosque where the temple used to be. That was prophetic. It's going to happen again when God turns the heat up in the, the seven-year seven tribulation time. He's going to turn the heat up again, right? So his justice, here's what the world doesn't get. That absolute perfect love includes justice. We sang that this morning. So then the king said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, yet those who had been invited to attend didn't deserve the honor. Now I want you to go to the streets and alleyways and invite anyone and everyone you find to come and enjoy the wedding feast in honor of my son. Okay? So the then was, he's opening up, the is, his chosen people said, no, we don't, we don't dig you. We're not going that way. And God has never, ever not allowed a human decision to stand from the time that Adam and Eve took the fruit out of the tree. He's always allowed freedom of choice because there's no relationship without freedom of choice. And so he said, okay, my design was that you would be the light to the nations, but you're not going to be the light to the nations the nations are going to get lit, so I'm going to use the Gentiles to do that. And we still live in the age of the Gentiles. You and I uh, are a Gentile because we are not Jews. Unless you're a Messianic Jew, that means that you were Jewish in, in, a, in, a, in your faith and you found Christ and now you're, you're, you're a Messianic Jew. Unless you're that, we're all Gentiles, all of us. So... We became the light because God's will will not, even though these men said, we're not doing it for you, God said, I, my will will be accomplished. It's just going to be accomplished a different way. That's what's going to happen. And then he says, so the servants went out to the city streets and invited everyone to come to the wedding feast, good and bad alike. I want you to notice that your goodness and your badness does not matter. What matters is Jesus. What matters is that the brokenness that occurred when Adam and Eve made that first decision, and some of us point our finger at Adam and Eve and said, you guys just created such a mess for us. But I can't really get through a day, honestly, without really rebelling against God if I dissect my life. You know, if I dissect it down, there's, there's always this self-nature that I'm battling with as I walk through my life, and my self-nature is counter to God. And so he's saying that your goodness and your badness doesn't matter. Jesus matters. Jesus paid the price. So Jesus dies on the cross. He lives a perfect, sinless life. He gives up his godhood, and he lives a perfect, sinless life, and he dies on the cross. He's the perfect sacrifice, and when I say to God now, Lord, oh my gosh, please forgive me, God says, done. Done. Yeah. Forgiven. Hallelujah. Removed. As far as east and as far as the west. And then the guilt, my guilt doesn't go away. And I ask him a second time, oh God, please forgive me. And you know what God says? What are you talking about? 
I don't even remember that. What? That's what Jesus did. And that's why the celebration in heaven is about him. Look at what he accomplished. And look at the benefit that we receive because of that accomplishment. Until the banquet hall was crammed with people now, when the king entered the banquet hall, he looked with glee over his guests. He was ha he's happy. He's happy to see the banquet hall filled because he created us for relationship. He wants relationship. That's why he created us. But when he noticed a guest who was not wearing a wedding robe provided for him, what's the wedding robe? The wedding robe is being washed in the blood of Christ. That's what the wedding robe is. The wedding robe was gifted to him. He didn't earn it. It was gifted to him, and he did not put it on. All right? So he said, my friend, how is it that you, you're here and you're not wearing your wedding garment? But the man was speechless. Let me tell you why he was speechless. He was caught. He was caught being in a place that he didn't deserve. He was caught in his own arrogance, thinking that I'm so good, I was invited. But he didn't put on Jesus. And so what did the father do? Because he didn't put on Jesus. Guys, we cannot, we cannot ever be in heaven without Jesus. There's nothing. We can't live good enough. Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, James, John, they can't be in heaven on their own fruition. They can't. It's not good enough. It takes Jesus. That's why the man was speechless. He was caught. Then the king turned to his servants and said, tie him up and throw him out to the outer darkness. Will there be great sorrow, weeping and grinding of teeth? For everyone is invited in. For everyone is invited in. For everyone is invited in. But few respond in excellence. So to reiterate, the wedding feast Heaven is in honor of what Christ accomplished for us to restore relationship. It is not about you, and it's not about me. So in our arrogance or our ignorance, we shouldn't be thinking that, well, if God really is love, then he would be this way. And if God really, you know, if he really is the guy that he says he is, then he would do it this way because that's how I think he should do it. Heaven is extravagant. It's beautiful, exceptional, laced with love for the Son. The Bible says again that we cannot even imagine it. Here's another point. 
there is an assumption with your invitation and my invitation, there is an assumption that we love his son like he does. And that we want to be present to honor him. That's the assumption that comes with our invitation. The banquet is the celebration of those who enter the kingdom and the exclusion is the judgment of those who rejected the gracious invitation. Remember this, when the first invitation was rejected, a second invitation went out. God wants that no person should perish. Remember your authority to stand and call workers to those people who won't listen to you that you love. Stand and call workers to come to continue to invite them, to continue to invite them. I, I, I had a friend who I prayed for for 10 years. You know, it took 10 years to wear that guy down until he said, I guess there is a Jesus. You know, we talked about the dominoes that get set up, that this person invites and that person invites and that person invites and finally it gets all set up where the person says, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? I need to say yes. In the scripture it says that the invited were not impressed with the son because their own lives and experiences were more important than the son. They were preoccupied with their own lives. And there's a Greek, the Greek words in there, the Greek language indicates indicates that it wasn't just one refusal, that it was a persistent refusal. It's a persistent refusal because there's a lot of opera, there's a lot of invitations. There's a lot of invitations and there's persistent refusal. So what can we be a part of? The invitation. We can be a part of the persistent, loving, gentle invitations. We can't own the decision to say yes or no, and neither will God. God will allow them to make the difference. I want to give you a historical context that we in the United States can't relate to very well, and that's the historical context of a king and a ruler. In that day, the invitation of a king was both a great honor and a sovereign command. One does not refuse the king. In those days, to refuse the offer of the king and then to murder his people was a lot like committing suicide. God, Jesus was telling this parable to a group of people who understood that because they lived under a king. They lived under kings. Their ancestors lived under kings. You and I, the closest thing to a king we can relate to is the president. And it's like, Okay, so either this president or the last president, okay? Okay, one of them you probably don't like or you don't support completely or whatever. And we live in a country where if our president does something we think is stupid, we can say, I think that's stupid. In this day, these people couldn't do that, all right? We, it, so let's say the president or the last president invites you to the White House for this wonderful banquet. You can say, I'm sorry, I'm not coming. And you have the freedom in our country to do that. But that's not what he's talking about here. So, see, we relate in a freedom perspective, but 
Jesus was telling this parable to people who lived under the kingship thing. They understood the intention. The creator of the universe, Yahweh, has invited you to a place you do not deserve to be. And it's an honor of the one who opened the door so you could be there. How dare you refuse? The king's messengers were mistreated and killed by many of those who were invited. These messengers are really us. These messengers are God's kids. These messengers are God's workers. By the time this parable was delivered, the nation of Israel had already taken out a bunch of prophets from God. And they were about ready to take Jesus out. And they were about ready to take out the disciples. They were about ready to take out the apostles. So God's telling us there with these people that have this rage and this arrogance, there's a price to pay. But I still want you to invite them. We live in a country where we're not really familiar with martyrdom, but it's happening now across the world. Which begs the question for us, I, I will only answer for me. I can't tell you the number of times that I didn't share my story or I didn't share how good God was and I didn't share who Jesus was because I was worried about what that other person might think of me. How much short of martyrdom, I mean, how much far removed from martyrdom can you be? Right? I've been there, done that. God has revealed to us that there is ignorance and self-occupation going on. He's indicated to us that there is rageful vengeance going on. But that rageful vengeance is really against him. It's against him. And he's also told us that we are his workforce. That's what he's told us. Some will politely say no, and some might be rageful. Some might call you names. Some might exclude you from being their Facebook friend, right? Your family might push you off to the side and say you're crazy. But he says, keep sharing. He says, keep sharing. Here's the parable clearly portrays Israel's spiritual indifference to the invitation in the sharpest way, culminating in their killing the messengers and Jesus himself. Although they, God used their rage to accomplish what he was going to offer. Isn't that interesting how God makes it good? They didn't want to hear any more about their guilt. They didn't want to hear any more that they were wrong. 
So God has those people killed. It was 70 AD, and he's going to do it again. And here's the attitude of today. See, today, if we, if we peek in today's attitudes, isn't it interesting that we can justify mistreating God's messengers? The world does. The world justifies mistreating their messengers. They justify snubbing God, the king, to his very face. They justify it. But when the king invokes his justice, they say, well, that was harsh. That wasn't very loving. The theme here is that Jesus is warning people not to refuse the invitation. And not, not only not to refuse the invitation, but don't be found without Christ. Don't be found without wearing Christ. Don't be found not in Christ as your robe of righteousness. Everyone who rejects has got some kind of a self-problem. And if we know it, then we should take their reaction less personally. We just keep loving them. We keep sharing. We keep bringing, taking the power that God gives us in prayer and, and sending more people to open them up. See, God wants to see a crammed heaven. He created he created us for relationship, and he wants that no one should perish. So, everyone is invited. Everyone is invited. Everyone is invited. But the world stands and says, how come we're not all going to heaven? And God, it's your fault if my friend doesn't go to heaven, because you're harsh. That's what the world does. Isn't it time that we stop questioning God and we start questioning those people who are lost and we question why they're not interested? Why are you not interested? The scripture says that few respond in excellence. What's excellence? Excellence is birthed in a gratitude, a desire to know the Father, and a deep appreciation for what the Son has accomplished because of extravagant agape love. The invitation available to all. What intelligent person would choose darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth? What intelligent person would do that? Who would choose overtly horrible if they knew what they were choosing? And whose job is it then for us to be sure that they know what they're choosing? Lovingly, not judgmentally, lovingly. Some people settle for religion. I'm saved because I go to church I do this, I do this, I do this for the church, I give money to the church, and that's what saves me. Those people are as lost as the people who are preoccupied with their lives, 
the people who are arrogant and ignorant and have turned God away because that's not what gets us back into relationship with the Father. What gets me back into relationship with the Father is what Jesus accomplished. That's what gets me back into relationship with the Father. The parable closes with an explanation. Many are called and few are chosen. Many is used several times in Isaiah 53 to speak of those whom Christ poured out his blood. And you know what? Christ poured out his blood for everyone. And then we have to address the nature of the chosen. Okay, Scripture says over and over that God wants that no man should perish. So who did he choose? Who did God choose? Who did Jesus die for? Everyone. So why? So the chosen doesn't refer to who God chose because he chose everyone. The chosen refers to the people who chose him back. That's who the chosen are. The difference between a lost person and a saved person is that I have chosen him back. That's the difference. That's the difference. And so it's our, it's our position to help people understand, to, to be repeatedly, lovingly inviting. Heaven is part of the message of the gospel. The way God describes heaven, it's part of the gospel. It's part of the restoration process that we get to experience. Good news is only good news if you know that you need to be delivered from darkness. It's only good news if I know that I was lost and now I'm found. It's only good news if I know I'm lost. It's not good news if I don't know I'm lost because I'm self-centered, arrogant, or ignorant. It's not good news for me. And so for you and me, that's a challenge. Right? Here's the deal. God says that he's the changer of hearts. But he uses our voice. He uses our actions. He uses our love for people. He uses that to open doors. So we don't have to be responsible. And I would just encourage you not to be responsible for someone's answer. Don't be responsible for their answer. Just be responsible for the invitation, the loving invitation. That's all, that's all we can do. That's all God can do is con continue to invite, continue to invite, because he won't change their decision. I think that's enough. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, I'm so grateful for your presence here, and I'm so grateful that your people, your church, have heard what it is that you have said about this thing. Lord, thank you for what you have accomplished. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for a celebration that will honor Jesus as it restores us to you that will go on for eternity. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, I pray that um, 
the place that you have nudged in each one of us today will be met with a response on our part. Amen. So, so the blessing I want to declare today over you is that however Holy Spirit nudged you, moved you, confirmed with you, follow it. Follow it. And let there be an action that comes as a result of how he nudged you and moved you. Right? God knitted us together in our mother's womb. He said we're fearfully and wonderfully made and he gave us a purpose. And there's a kingdom purpose for your life whether you feel like there is or not. There's a kingdom purpose for your life. And when we understand heaven and we understand the gospel and we understand him, maybe we can walk boldly into the purpose as the Holy Spirit nudges us. Amen? Amen. 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 Have a great Sunday.